Welcome back to Full Court Press, a podcast by basketball fans for basketball fans, aka Toronto's number one NBA podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie. And as always, I'm joined by my fellow brother, Felix. Stay tuned for our giveaway in the coming weeks ahead by following us on Instagram at fullcourtpress.to, which you can find in this episode's description. And don't forget to subscribe, download, and stream episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your shows. This episode, we're discussing forgotten NBA duos that did not live up to their full potential. Let's get it. Okay, yo, Bonnie. You know, we're like a little bit past the halfway point. You know, everybody played about, you know, about like a little over 40 games already, right? So there's five tiers I'm going to give you, right? And I don't know if people know where tiers is. That kind of like a pyramid. So obviously the lower you are, it's like you're basically shit. <laughs> and if you're at the top of the mountain, that means you're, like, you're, you're, you're above everybody else, right? Like, you know, the pointing, the pointy part of the top of the pyramid? <laughs> yeah. Because let's start from the bottom, okay? So I'm going to give you a category, and then I want you to name some few teams that fits that category, okay? Okay. I'm going to call this Tier 5. Name the teams that has been very disappointing for you throughout this season so far. Oh, disappointing, eh? Now, not, um, not, just, not just disappointing. Like, I mean, really disappointing. Like, the most disappointed. Uh, the Celtics, the Blazers, off the top of my head. Should, how, how many teams actually, should I list? They actually, they actually fit that. You got two. Uh, I have about one, two, three, four, five. I have about six. You have six? I have to say four more? You don't have to say four more. But you can you could just think, just basically make your own tier. Then we can compare. Okay, cool. So for disappointing teams this season, I'd say definitely the Blazers. But that's only because of Lillard not playing. The Celtics, something has to happen there. Obviously, the Pelicans, sadly. Um, I'm still going to say the Sacramento Kings in, uh, in Tier 5 and Indiana. And I think, I think that would be it. I had three. I had three of them, what you just said. I had the Blazers, Indiana, and Boston. The other three I actually had in there were the Knicks, Ooh. Atlanta Hawks. Oh, yeah, Atlanta, fuck. And the Lakers. That's true. See, but that's the thing. That's the thing with the media and whatnot. Being like a basketball fan and shit, I look at the Lakers. I'm like, all right, cool. That's whatever. The Lakers are talked about every single fucking day. Yeah, man. So, like, it's just, I, I know what you mean. But I, I had the Pacers in there as well. I thought with Rick Carlisle coming in there, I thought it would be a little bit more better. And the team is really well, I mean, the team is pretty well built. I'm not going to lie. On paper, it looks really well built. And Karis Lover didn't lose that many games. Atlanta Hawks or something, but I think there's like no spark at all in there. The Knicks I just put there just because I thought they'll be excelling more this year than than usual because they got Kemba right, right. But that, that, that didn't that didn't work out. I know you said the Kings and then Pelicans. I actually had them in a tier four in terms of slightly disappointing. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll, I might as well name the rest of the tier so for you can properly put everybody else in there. My tier four is slightly disappointing. Tier three is just as expected. Teams are playing as projected. People do their projections in the beginning of the season. So these are the teams I put there that actually meets the expectations. And then there's the above expectations and then like well above expectations. Okay. Okay. Run it with me. Run it with me. So really disappointing is done. I had I had Boston, Knicks, Hawks, Lakers, Pacers, and, and Blazers. But you also put Kings and Pelicans in there. I had Kings and Pelicans and slightly disappointing. Okay. In that case, I'll change that. I'll I'll change. My answer then, and I'll, I'll put the Pelicans and the Kings also in okay. slightly disappointing. Who else would you put there? I have like maybe three more teams in there. 
Um, slightly disappointing. So the Kings, the Pelicans. This is where I would put the Knicks. Um, okay. And as well as the Wizards. I put the Wizards in there. Okay. Yeah, because at the beginning of the season, they were doing pretty, pretty well. And everybody was just all on this Kyle Kuzma hype because I was on it. I can't even lie. But now it's you like, you know, how like what we said in the beginning of the season where past the halfway point or like a couple weeks into the season, like the records and the numbers and the stats start to adjust themselves, right? Yes, yes, yes. And yeah, and exactly is. And there's some teams that are way above expectation, but I actually had the Wizards above expectation, to be honest. I didn't. Ex- oh. I didn't actually didn't expect them to be that hot, and then they're still in that playoff tournament type of thing. Yeah, because they're still gonna. Pl- they can still uh, challenge for that, but I didn't think they're gonna be there at all. I think they're being bottom feeders, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it. Um, Kyle Kuzma has been really well. They, they mean way, way well. Like yeah, one game with twenty two rebounds, right? Mm-hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie, KCP, Martrez. They're all. They're all. They often in perfectly in there. Rui just came back. So, I mean, I think they're above expectations, in my opinion. I also have here, and still, in slightly disappointing, I had Clippers. But I have them here now just because, you know, I'm just disappointed in the fact that Paul George got injured again. Right. I think that's the only thing. Dallas, I have Dallas in there. They're disappointing to me. I, it's just because I've been saying it all. Like, I don't know how many times I've been saying it, but every fucking year is the same roster. Every fucking year. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I, I they're doing they're doing much better than expected. You know they're they're about like in the standings they're for their fifth spot. So maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh on them. But I just I just honestly expected I expected better in my opinion. Even know what I mean. Like I expected them to be top four or at least can be top three. Or I expected Luca to be much better than he is right now. I feel like there was no. Uh, I feel like he's kind of lackluster, even though he's putting up the same numbers. I just feel like he's kind of lackluster, if you know what I mean, right? I think we're just also expecting a lot from from the Mavericks because now that Kristaps Porzingis is playing, he's actually having a pretty good season, right? So, Exactly, right? So just for that, it's, it's a pretty good season, right? But they're in the fifth seed right now. Mm-hmm. I just ex- Maybe I just expect a little bit more. I expected like this year, Luka and, and KB can take it to a whole other level. Because I did believe that I think Rick Carlisle was... Um, was being a little lenient on Luca, letting Luca do whatever he wants to do. And I feel like with Jason Kidd, who's actually a real point guard, helping Luca adjust and helping KP to be a part of that, that squad because Jay Kidd actually played with a lot of superstars and he had to learn how to play with them, right? Right, right. So I think that helps. For me, I had just as expected. You said Detroit was disappointing to you. I actually had Detroit just as expected. Like, they're still bottom feeders, you know, they're there. Orlando's there. Not, not too much surprise with Hornets. I think Hornets, I actually had them doing okay. OKC, like same thing, just as expected. The Spurs, the Rockets, the Nets, Utah, Milwaukee, and 76ers are all just expected. If we thought they were bad, they're just as bad. If they we think they're going to be excelling, and they are, like, look at Utah. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we, we've been saying Utah's the Spurs, basically. Um, above expectations, who do you have? So for teams that are meeting above expectations right now, halfway through the season, I would actually say Minnesota Timberwolves. Me too. Um, I'd also say the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. Um, because they're currently the seventh seed in the standings, and I honestly would say, I'd say the Raptors. Yep, I have the Raptors too. Yeah, I'd have, I have just those three too. teams. I would say. 
I have the Raptors and I have Minnesota. I also would say Phoenix Suns, who's above okay. expectation. I did say in the beginning of this year, I thought they're going to falter. I thought was that year was the last year they would have been able to compete for a championship. But this year, they definitely proved me wrong. Playing yeah, really, man, really well. Hungry. They're pretty. They're playing really, really well. And it's just like they're the only team, actually, because first of all, they're not even talked about enough in in the beginning. But they're the only team that actually didn't have like a like a rough patch. In my, mm-hmm. You know, you see Golden State. They 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 lost. They're losing a few games. You see, uh, the Bulls were doing great, but then they lost to Brooklyn and Golden State back to back. But it wasn't even like a really small loss. It was like a slap, first of all. And Brooklyn Nets are kind of off, you know. They faltered a little bit too. But the only team I can say that didn't didn't lose any momentum is Phoenix Suns, and they keep going. I also have Miami Heat in there. Mm. I didn't have Miami Heat in first place in in the standing right now, but I actually had them around fourth. I thought they were gonna be you know battling around fourth and fifth, but they're above they're above expectation. Now you can say who's well above expectations. Definitely way above expectations. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Cleveland Cavaliers. End of list. I'm not going to say any other teams. You could arguably put the Chicago Ooh. Bulls in there. I was, um, I was about to say, where would you... Because I had I had both of them, Memphis and Cleveland in there. But I also had Golden State because I, I'm pretty sure nobody... And this is Golden State before Clay. Okay, okay. I didn't think nobody, nobody expected to be this good, to be first place for that long, right? And Chicago Bulls. Okay. Chicago Bulls, man, you can definitely say that the key sparks are the, the key additions to it. And number one, I, I know it sucks that we saw Grayson Allen doing that shit to um, Alex Caruso. Yeah. Alex Caruso. Now he broke his wrist. So hopefully that doesn't derail anything because Caruso was such a huge, it is not, not was. He is a huge piece to the, to the Chicago Bulls. Lonzo has a meniscus tear. Um, and yeah, so those are the four teams. Memphis is fucking killing it, bro. Memphis is fucking killing it. Cleveland Cavaliers way above expectation. I did not expect it. I did not even 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 have a thought of them having a great like playing really great with that many big men. Darius Garland is truly, and I really believe it. And I did say this before, in like I don't know which episode I said it, but I did say that Steph Curry had a huge admiration for him and that he's going to be such a great player in the future. But he's already here. Yeah, he was already I, here. I think Colin Sexton getting injured gave a little more shining a shining spot for him. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, man. My my question for you actually now will be, what would you do knowing that? Like if you're the management, you've seen Darius Garland and they're still, they're still, yo, they're still playing great. They're, um, right now they're currently in the fifth seed and they're like almost 10 games, they're almost 10 games above 500. They're about nine games above 500, which is wild. And there's a conference where you have Miami Heat, Brooklyn Nets, Chicago Bulls, Milwaukee, Philly, right? Those are the six obviously guaranteed heavy hitters. So, yeah, what would he do knowing that Colin Sexton, I, I know he brings a lot to the team. He is like a kind of a better version of Alex Caruso, in my opinion, like, because he can score and he can, he can score better than Caruso for sure. In my opinion, bro, if I see the way it is, I'm training Colin Sexton and I'm packaging him with uh, a Kevin Love and see what I can get back. No, that's, that's a good idea. But the thing is, at the same time, I also still want to see what Sexton can do in Cleveland because even if he were to be a player, almost like a Buddy Heald, that came off the bench, who was a starter, and then ended up coming off the bench, at least that, at least the Cavs would have more bench depth. I kind of like what you said. Like if he if he was able to take in and, and swallow that coming off the bench, then yeah, keep him. But I just feel like he takes away Darius Garden's game. Darius Garden needs the ball in his hand to make a really great assist because he's been averaging, I think, 
high assist, high assist number. He's top 10. And then you have Colin Sexton, who's different. He is a defensive juggernaut, but he cannot play off ball. Mm-hmm. He needs the ball in his hand to score. I'm not saying he's going to make the right... I don't think he'll make the right play offensively. He's always going to make the right play defensively for sure. That's like no knock on him. But offensively, I feel like it takes away Darius Garland. Because you know what? Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you think of Cleveland Cavaliers before this season, first name that comes up to your head. First name? Yeah. Before this season. Of, I thought of Colin Sexton. I thought of Colin Sexton. Yeah. Me as well. Me as well. Yeah. Colin Sexton was the top of my head because, you know, he was scoring like 20 a night. He was, he's a defensive juggernaut. But then he's out and then you see Darius Garland. And he's such a much better I think he's such a much more complete offensive player that help everyone else get be better and put them in the right spots as well. And that's the thing too, man. Like, because I remember talking a lot of shit and that's the one, that's the one thing I like about basketball is I like being proved wrong. Yeah, me too. as a fan, right? Me too. So, the fact that they had that fuck fest of like twin towers and like skyscrapers on that squad, I didn't think it was going to work out. Me as well. But if now if you're looking at the East, it kind of makes sense. I remember at one point they had literally all mans were above like 6'10". Yeah. And the these lineup. guys, but these guys are not stiff. Maybe yeah, that's the thing. They, they can move like guards. The only exception I would say maybe Jared Allen, but but you don't need him because he can beat the five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, everybody, yeah. Everybody else is very versatile. They're not stiff. They can play zone. They can play zone with that. I'm going to say something right now in terms of a prediction. I think they can go as far as the second round of the playoffs. And the reason why I say that is because of Kevin Love. I think veteran presence when it comes to playoff time is so, so important. Experience is important in, in anything you do. I honestly think that they can make it to the second round. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, because if you're you listen, bro, I'm pretty sure Philly's going to overtake that fifth seat because they're not that far off. And that's a big projection, bro. But I'm going to go against it because Cleveland, let's say they've finished sixth seed. And you know what? Let's not even count on Boston Celtics yet, okay? Because you don't know what's going to happen with them. They can turn around. They're right now 500, 24 and 24. They can even possibly be in the seventh seed. You can have Cleveland Cavaliers fighting for the seventh and eighth seed, man. And you're going to face what? Miami Heat, Brooklyn Nets, Chicago Bulls, or Milwaukee? And you're going to tell me that they're going to beat them? They're great. Don't get me wrong. They're a great young roster. And I do believe, I, and I do agree with you with uh, veteran presence. I think veteran presence that can play with a team like a LeBron James or... Okay, LeBron James is a fucking... He's a fucking mutant, bro. So let's use a different example. <laughs> like, let's say... Andre Godala. Andre Godala, right? Who's actually playing... I put a little bit over Andre Iguodala, bro. I mean, like maybe like a like a Mike Conley, who who's who's still playing heavy minutes, but and he's a better presence, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like Cleveland needs someone like that who can play alongside and and can take a huge uh chunk of whatever the offense or defense is giving them. You know, I'm not saying they're gonna win a game or two. I'm just saying I think they for you for your projection to be right. I'm saying that they need someone like between a Mike Conley range to a LeBron James range that can help this team. I think Kevin Love is in the middle. Oh, I, I do. don't know, man. I, I, I do, I don't man. Know. I really do. I, I don't think I really so. Do. I, think, I think I need to see more because he did, I'm not going to lie, he did give you some flashes of like uh, some old Kevin Love. Well, yeah, I mean, he old, did. Old Cleveland Cavalier Kevin Love. Not old, <laughs> yeah, Minnesota, yeah. not old Minnesota fucking Kevin Love, but old Cleveland Cavalier Kevin Love. So we'll see. It'll be great. I think it'll be a great first round. Yeah, man. This episode of Full Court Press with Bonnie and Felix is sponsored by Hoopin. Speak the language of basketball with killer t-shirts and hoodies that solidify your identity on and off the court. Use code FULLCOURT for 15% off your order. But yeah, man, those Chicago Bulls, bro, I'm telling you right now, I know we talk, talk about, you know, Lonzo and Caruso, 
But DeRozan is literally, I'll put everything on DeRozan that he's the reason why Chicago Bulls is where they are right now. I 100% agree, man. 100% agree. Yeah, man. Because like with DeRozan, DeRozan right now is that player that we talked about, I believe, in the last episode or two episodes ago, where it's kind of late as a basketball fan to appreciate the dude once again, or even having that rediscovery that, holy shit, like he's balling out because he's been attacking by the mid-range and the numbers fucking show, man. And that's why he's in the conversation for MVP um, this year, at least in the top 10. Alone right now in the mid-range, DeMar is like averaging at least 4.4 field goal maids in the mid-range. Behind him is none other than the Slim Reaper, Kevin Durant. And then behind him is Brandon Ingram, Devin Booker, Joel Embiid. Like those top five players just to make a lineup. Yeah. Fucking incredible, yo. And it's one of those things where like, especially now that you look at DeRozan's game, sure, like maybe, or not even maybe, like for sure he has his like ISO plays and and he's like operating in the mid-range and he takes out his Kobe playbook and says, yo, I'm gonna do this move right now, you know? But it's just showing appreciation that when, when you work on your fucking game, especially when you do the same moves over and over and over again, and people can expect that, but you can't stop it, that just makes you so great, you know? But yeah, man, DeMar DeRozan is like, he's unreal, dude. I was not expecting like his first run with the Bulls to be like this because at the same time, I thought that I thought that the, the ball would be distributed equally amongst him and Levine being the main, you know, scorers at least. But DeRozan's just well, they're like, averaging the same. They're averaging almost the same fucking points, bro. I know, but it's, it's just the way that he's getting his buckets is what I'm trying to say. Like, the way he's getting his buckets yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in a game right now where obviously the three-point line has been it's the a fav- huge factor. It's, like, it's a huge fucking factor. At this point, I can say that DeMar could probably operate his, his same skill sets in the 90s. That's what I'm trying to say. That, like, whenever some people would, like, you know speculate could LeBron play in the 90s could or what have you or could Magic Johnson play in today's game like a name that probably wouldn't be talked about would be DeMar DeRozan I think he could play in the 90s especially operating within that side like he can get his points obviously big men back then were heavy and and like big and and would get their numbers easily but I think DeRozan has just mastered the craft in the mid-range and I just got had to give a shout out to that man because that dude is fucking phenomenal oh yeah I do agree that I think he can play I think he can handle the physicality too. He's athletic as well, right? So I think he can definitely play. I think what I love about him is that he didn't, he saw a lot of people change. Trust me, in those late 2000s, his, his whole draft class and, and even output, like maybe two or three draft class after him, you can tell a significant amount of players that did not shoot the three is now shooting the three, right? Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I don't know why, but the first thing that came to my head right now is uh, Jonas Valachunas. Right. Bro, he didn't shoot threes, but he was actually a really great mid-range shooter. He was actually in Toronto. He was playing a really, he was really great at the mid-range. What the stupid fucking pump fakes he used to do. <laughs> Yo, man, I feel like anybody that would bite on a Giannis Valanciunas pump fake should get fined. No, no, it should be automatically benched and suspended one game. <laughs> I'm being serious, but but now he's shooting threes and he's shooting pretty well. I'm not gonna lie, he's shooting pretty well from threes. DeRozan, he can shoot the three. Like he can, he shoot the three if he has to. Like those buzzer beaters. But what I loved about him is that he didn't, he saw everyone changing, but he didn't force his game to change that way. Instead, he made sure he mastered his craft in the mid range because are you dumb? Are you not going to double team him when he does the, when he does a pick and roll or when he's trying to get to his spot to the right or to the left or even bite on his pump fakes? 
right? This still yeah. helps. But th- these little things, people think, oh, yeah, shoot the three. But these things he's doing is helping his team because why? Everyone knows their player report before the game. They know he's a great fucking mid-range shooter. You're not going to leave him alone. So what's going to happen? It's going to open up something. Either they don't want to get a three-pointer. So guess what? Who's going to lose in the paint? Nikola, uh, yeah, Vucevic. These things are helping his team. And it's helping his team really good. Because look, Zach Levine's at the three. You know? Yeah. yeah. You have Lonzo, who's a way better shooter now. Yes. Yes. And you have Vucevic. Oh, yeah. Those are great three. Those are great three options he has around that team, man. And it's just great. I just love it because I'm a huge, huge, huge Demar Derozan fan. Ever since, ever since he tweeted, "Don't worry, I got us." Or when Chris Posh left, I left Chris Posh at the fucking garbage dump when I saw that tweet because I was all in for Derozan and I only <laughs> hoped for his success. And so far, like the only thing he left, he has to do, like he has a really great chance for MVP. I think if Chicago can solidify the first place, first place in the standing. I will give it to him. And I wouldn't be mad if they give it to him. Because I know we can talk about another time when the when it gets closer to the to like maybe maybe a post All-Star game where you actually see who who's who's right now in the uh, MVP race. They're still like uh still up in the air, right? In my opinion. Don't you think? Yeah. It's like I said, it I feel like the Kia MVP ladder on NBA.com, for example, it fluctuates. It just does. I think every people week, are every just week. Every week it'll fluctuate, you know, like Nikola Jokic is still at the top. Giannis is up there and beat is up there. KD Curry was once up there, but now he's like in the bottom he five of that of, of that yeah. top 10. Right. So, yeah, but it, the honestly, rest is not anything top can five, happen. Right? He's not. He's eighth. See, that's what I mean. So I just feel like for him to win, they have to be first place. It's going to be like a like a Steve Nash situation where Steve Nash came to the Phoenix Suns the first year and literally turned around the whole franchise. They won like 60 games that first year. Okay, I, yeah, I see what you mean. I feel yep. like DeRozan has to do something like that just to make to just to validate giving him an MVP. But the only thing left, uh, MVP, I don't think is even in his mind. I think it's a championship, and hopefully this year looks like a good year for him too. Like I won't, I won't even doubt. I wouldn't be surprised. All right, guys. So in this episode, we're talking about forgotten NBA duos that did not live up to their full potential. So, Felix, go right ahead, man. Okay. You know, my first duel, it was actually the first duel when we came up with this topic, it was the first duel that came to my mind. Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stratemeyer, right? Amari signed with the Knicks in 2010 as a free agent. And Melo actually was coming off a great year with Denver the year prior. And they were able to make the conference finals Losing to Kobe in six games. And it was like, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty sure you remember watching that series. That series alone looked like it could have gone either way. And if Denver would have beat Kobe, I'm pretty sure Denver would have won that championship that year. Mostly part, I will say, it will be between Melo and Chauncey Billups who actually trained, who did that. But they lost that series. The management of Denver weren't doing anything to make the team better that year. So Melo went to management and said, yo, what's, what's going on? Yo, what's happening? What are you gonna do to make this team better so we can compete? We're this this close to making the finals. What are you gonna do when I'm in my prime? I'm in my prime right now. What are you gonna do? And also, Chauncey Billups was actually just coming out of his prime. He's 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 aging, right? We don't have that many years left. So what are you gonna do? Denver looked at him and basically said, "Nah, I think we're gonna rebuild. Like I think it's time to." Uh, which didn't make sense to it. First of all, that's why I hate the media because the media never knows the whole story. But they made Melo actually look really bad in that situation. Like forcing out and all that shit, right? But at the end of the day, he requested a trade just because of that. Because, you know, if you're not going to make my team better, why am I here? And in Messiah, they trusted. (laughs) 
because Vasile did pull that blockbuster trade. Also sending Melo and Chauncey Billups to the Knicks. So then you had Amari, Chauncey Billups, and Melo, which on paper is fucking phenomenal, right? When Melo joined the Knicks, they only played about 27 games together. They did make the playoff in the sixth seed, but they got swept by the Boston Celtics. That year was probably the only best year of Amari, Amari Stradamari's career with the Knicks. He was averaging 25 points a game. The rest of, for, I even forgot to mention, they only played four seasons together. So that first year was the only year, the only year I can really say that Amari was at his peak. The next three years, it was just riddled with injuries. He wouldn't, he would get injuries after injuries after injuries. He didn't even play a full, he never even played a full season with Melo. In 2011 and 2012, they actually were able to get Tyson Chandler from the Mavs, who actually won the championship the year prior. They also got J.R. Smith, and they, but ultimately, Amari never got healthy. But that year, that 2011 2012 Knicks, if he was healthy, because Chauncey Billups, he was no longer with the team anymore. But you, you also have Melo, you had Mike Baby, you had Chandler, you had Baron Davis, you had uh, Landry Fields, J.R. Smith, Iman Shumper, Steve Novak, Lynn Sanity for like whatever 16 games, <laughs> and Amari Stranamire. So that was a great, literally, that was a great roster. And you can expect a lot better that year than the year before. But again, Amari was just injured. They lost to Miami Heat that year to five games. Okay. Their biggest accomplishment really in those four seasons was making the second round by beating the Celtics in six games, but they lost to Indiana in six games. So that was 2013. And the year after that, they didn't make the playoffs. But that year, when they, you know, they made the second round, Amari Stranamer again. It's just injury after injury after injury. And the coaches between that tenure actually was Mike D'Antoni, who only coached the first year, and Mike Woodson coached the rest of the tenure of the Knicks and within the tenure between the Melo and Amari. So one of the questions asking as a duo, what was the biggest factor why they never succeeded? And I think it's, it's going to be a common theme, in my opinion. But I think it's just because they never got a full season. They never were able to keep Amari Stromer healthy. And it's not like Amari Stromer came and just like had like bad luck since the beginning. Amari Stromer was actually an injury prone player, even when the Phoenix Suns. So he's kind of like an Anthony Davis, in my opinion. Where like you might get one good full season with Anth with Anthony Davis or Amari, but then you don't know what's gonna come next. And you're seeing that right now with Anthony Davis, right? So I'm just want to do that comparison to people who never watched Amari Stratemeyer, right? But the Knicks were fucking fun, bro. I'm telling you, when they did that, they when they pulled off that trade, it was primarily for the reason is to compete against Miami Heat, because that was Miami Heat's first year as well. And honestly, on paper, bro, it looked like especially that second year when they got Tyson Chandler and Jr. Smith, New York Knicks looked really really good. And shout out to all the 2K, bro. Goes 2K games, bro. 2K10, 2K11, 2K12. The Knicks were fucking sick, bro. I used to play with them all the time. But I'm actually pretty sad that they didn't live up to the potential or at least make a deep playoff run. Maybe like have a... I wish the success that Indiana Pacers had in those between those years was the Knicks. Because I think the Knicks versus Miami would have been such a great masterpiece. But yeah, ultimately, I think I wouldn't blame the coaches. Because like, again, if you had a full roster, a healthy roster, I think it would have been a problem. But yeah, I think it's just Amari Stranamar. But what do you think? How do you think about those Knicks? I do miss those Knicks squads. I do miss Amari and, and Melo. Because the thing is, Melo is one of those players where I feel like if you paired him up with any other person that was kind of like a notable star, even later in their career, it sounds really fucking good on paper. You know? All the time. It's all, all the time. With time. All the time. Like you can make the argument um, with with Melo and Paul George, Melo and, and Westbrook. Iverson. Um, Iverson, yeah, AI. Um, then you had, then you had, sorry, then you had Baron Chris Davis, Paul? Chris Paul, 
right? There, uh, there's, there's so many names. Jason Kidd. That's right. Yeah, Jason Kidd. So it was just, yeah, I just thought that. But I wouldn't blame Melo, though. Melo's relatively healthy. Yo, I 100%. I just blaming that it just never happened. Like even he knew. Like he to this day he's saying that sometimes it does haunt him because if imagine if Amari was still playing that year, that first year they're playing twenty five points per game, bro. You cannot tell me you don't remember that year when Amari was doing it without Melo, taking like the the roster they had. Like you had before the trade was Danilo Gallinari, you had Timothy Moskov, yeah, all these guys, and these guys are just relatively like unknown players at that point. And Amari did his magic, and he was fighting around that six, fifth, sixth seed, seventh seed, with just that squad. So I expected way more from them. And if it wasn't for injuries, I really would think they would compete for a championship against Miami. Would they beat Miami? I'm not sure. That's just speculation. I don't think they would, but I think they could compete against them for sure. Okay, dude. So the forgotten NBA duo that did not live up to their full potential uh, that I'm going to say is Jason Kidd and Vince Carter. They're fucking incredible, man. Um, I wish they obviously had a translation with the championship with the Nets at the time, but just didn't happen, you know? They played for the New Jersey Nets from the 2004-2005 season up until February of the 2007-2008 season when Jason Kidd ended up getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, after the Toronto Raptors didn't make the playoffs in the 2003-2004 season, the GM at that time, Glenn Grunwald, and the entire coaching staff were fucking fired during the summer, which made Vince Carter so fucking angry and frustrated with the Raptors' front office, right? Yeah, yeah. And then eventually, Carter was just like, yo, I want to get traded. So then on December 18th, the Raptors traded Carter to the Nets in exchange for Alonzo Mourning, Eric Williams, Aaron Williams, and two first-round draft picks. And back then, the Nets were, you know, they were led by Jason Kidd and R Richard Jefferson. So in a way, with the addition of Carter, they basically had their own early version of like a big three. Big three. But Carter wasn't sure how to approach and act around Jason Kidd and the other Nets players when he arrived. But Jason Kidd himself quickly erased that notion and any concerns that Vince Carter ever had. Vince Carter said in an interview, he said, I, I just remember saying, I'm just trying to fit in, right? And then Jason Kidd replied, nah, man, nah, I need you to be who you are and we'll adjust to you. That's it. The moment that Vince Carter joined the Nets, Jason Kidd opened up his arms and he says, nah, don't change who you are. We're going to adjust to you. It's going to be completely fine, right? Their most notable game, though, that people forget was on April 7th of 2007. It was during an overtime win against the Washington Wizards. It was a 120 to 114 overtime win. This was fucking incredible because Jason Kidd and Vince Carter in that game posted triple doubles. Jason Kidd scored 10 points with 18 assists and 16 rebounds, while Carter had 46 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists. At that time, it was the first time in nearly 20 years that that feat had been accomplished, and it wouldn't happen again for another 11. So in 1989, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were the last duo to actually do that, and then later in 2018, it was LeBron who did it twice, triple doubling for the Lakers. In terms of their playoff numbers though, throughout their time together, Jason Kidd was averaging 14.6 points, 9.2 rebounds, and 9.3 assists. So technically a triple double. And then Carter averaged 26 points, seven and a half rebounds, and five and a half assists during their time together throughout the playoffs. Now, question being, you know, what really fucking stopped them from being a deadly duo during their time together? 
I honestly would just say it would be playoff matchups were the problem for these two, you know? Like, for both the 05 and the 06 postseason, the Miami Heat were unstoppable, right? If you really think about it. The Heat ended up winning the NBA Finals in 06 versus the Mavs. And then in 2007, obviously Raptors fans can remember this and we'll, <sighs> they'll never ever fucking forget the first round matchup against the Nets. Because um, they cried. obviously won that series, right? Yeah, I, I know. I remember you're that's, saying you got on your knees and you're that's crying. How you, that's how I knew. That's how you knew I was a true. That was when I knew I was a true basketball fan, right? Fucking yo, but yeah, they lost to the King next, though. Yeah, exactly. But then in the next round, they ended up losing to a young LeBron um, in the second round during his first era with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who would then end up going to the NBA Finals versus the Spurs, but then you know ultimately losing to the Spurs in four games. So I honestly think that at the end of the day, when it came to what stopped them, it was literally playoff matchups. It was just trying to get over the hump. It was either Dwayne Wade and Shaq or literally LeBron and has-beens. And that's it. That's very interesting take. You know, you're right, though. You're absolutely right. Because I didn't, I, when you name those duels, the first thing when you name duels that didn't lead to expectations, you always automatically think injuries. But these guys never got injured. Yeah, they were healthy as fuck, you know. They were really, yeah. really, really healthy. And the thing is, too, with Jason Kidd, it was the fact that earlier in the early 2000s, the Nets were making the playoffs and they had a couple finals appearances, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, prior to Vince Carter joining them. They right? had back-to-back finals appearance. Mm-hmm. And they lost back-to-back times to the Lakers and the Spurs. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you know what? I wouldn't be mad. Like I know Vince Carter never got the ring and Jason Kidd ultimately got the ring. But I wouldn't be mad if I was Vince Carter for the tenure with the kid, with with Kid and Jefferson, because bro, you you literally your two losses were against teams that actually ended up being either a champion or went to the finals. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I didn't love the duel when when it happened, but when you're looking back at it, they were really, really, really fun. You right? Yeah, man. You couldn't just you couldn't deny how great they were together. Like when I think of like that Nets team and them two, I think of two things. I think of the bowling pass that Jason Kidd did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You remember that? That was fucking cool. And I obviously remember the shout out to Gerald Green, the uh, alley-oop windmill dunk. Bro, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. They were literally Lob City before Lob City. Yeah, Jason, man. If you had Jason Kidd running in transition, it's unreal because you don't know who he's going to pass it to, Jefferson or, or Vince. Jefferson or Vince. Vince Carter also was playing his peak basketball. Multiple game winners. And multiple fucking posters, dunks, dog. Like that one on Alonzo Morning. Oh, mm. disgusting, bro. And the, and all those buzz beaters this guy fucking hit on Toronto, bro. All the time. Or those game <laughs> winners, bro. All the time. Fucking hated it. You couldn't you couldn't deny his greatness. I also remember Jason Kidd. You know, remember, <laughs> remember he was running off the baseline, and the, the oh. shot clock is about to turn off. So this guy literally just literally just did like a backwards alley uh layup. Like literally didn't even look at the basket and fucking got it in the buzzer. Fucking wild. <laughs> but yeah, no, that duel was actually so sick. Let me transition from Vince Carter to his cousin, Mr. Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming. Bro, I told you there's a theme with me, and the theme is fucking injuries. T-Mac and Yao played five seasons together. T-Mac joined through free agency, and Yao got drafted from the team. First of all, it's not like only one player is injury prone. These two motherfuckers were injury prone, and they were going one off. One year, he's injured. The next year, this guy's injured. So again, just like uh, Melo and Amari, they didn't play full, uh, like a full season together. Tia and was only able to play a full season. Maybe not like they never even played 82 games, but close to a full season, maybe once or twice. Like in those five seasons, T-Mac played over 47 games only three times. And Yao did play more games 
in that stretch, but not that much. They only played full season twice in those five seasons. And you know what? Like, again, everyone was excited to see this duel because of how T-Mac was fucking amazing in Orlando. And once he left Toronto, he exploded. He was fucking killing it. It was just phenomenal to see. Like, he literally bet on himself and he and it pulled off. Fuck it, I'm going to say it. This guy was literally rivaling Kobe Bryant. And, and I'm not going to lie. I don't care what people are going to say. He was literally rivaling Kobe being Bryant. Whatever Kobe Bryant can do, T-Mac can do. Hands down. I don't care what anybody says. He can literally can do the same thing Kobe was doing at that stretch right there, right? The only thing was he was just injury prone. And now look at Yao. Now let's do the comparison. Yao, who is Yao? Who do you compare Yao to? Mr. Shaquille O'Neal. So when Team Team Mac went to Houston to team up with Yao Ming, what's the first thing people think about? Well, for me, the first thing I thought about was a shacking shacking Kobe 2.0 because it look it could have been a 2.0 if they were never injured. You know how the Melo and Mario was talking about the East, but everyone knows in the West. The Western Conference is always the hardest conference to play in, especially in the 2000s. All right. The Houston Rockets only made the playoffs three times out of the five, losing all their matchups in the first round. T-Mac never made it past the first round. Yamek did, but it will be a little bit a little bit after T-Mac left. The first year they had, they lost the seven games to the Dallas Mavericks. And then they, they, went, they didn't make the playoffs the next year because Yamek was injured. And he also missed up. So he wasn't like fully injured through the whole through the to the whole season, he missed about 25 games. Which if you miss 25 games in a Western Conference playoff, a Western Conference regular season, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of fucking games, right? Because almost every fucking year, they're they're um, they're at least from one to eight. Their minimum games you win is about 50, right? The next two years after that, they made they made the playoffs, but they lost back to back times to Utah, one in seven games and the other in six games. And then last year, the playoffs, T Mac was really injured. He missed way more than 50%. He only played 35 games that year and didn't make the playoffs. Ironically, they played for five seasons and every time they made the playoffs, was in the fifth seed. So yeah, that's actually pretty funny. Again, let's talk about their coaches because everyone say it's an injury or is it the coaching or like, again, that's a good exam- uh, example you brought up before, playoff matchups. The playoff matchups, I'm not going to lie. Utah was actually a very, very excellent team. And that was actually like a, like a 2.0 Spurs because Spurs were doing Spurs shit and Utah was, you know, Utah Jazz. Like, yo, bro, they're literally, well, you see Utah Jazz right now is what the Utah Jazz used to be with Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer, Mehmet Okur, AK-47, all those fucking guys. And the only, I think, yeah. So playoff matchups, I would say playoff matchups when they were healthy and when they did make the playoffs together. They're coaching. They had phenomenal coaches, Jeff Van Gundy and they had uh, Rick Adelman. Both phenomenal. Right, both never obviously they, they never won a, cha- a championship, but they were phenomenal coaches. I think those first few years in Houston, they didn't have the proper roster to surround Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. But yo, taking this roster, this is 0809. If Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming was fucking healthy and they stayed healthy, this is the roster, man. Raver Austin, yeah, Brent Berry, Shane Battier, Aaron Brooks. I'm gonna skip some players because I'm gonna give you the notable players. Aaron Brooks was obviously you know him. He was fucking great off the bench Kyle Lowry you had Mutombo a great you know veteran piece at the back but you had Louis Scola as well and and you had Mr. Meta World Peace Jesus fucking Christ man now you put that on paper right imagine I didn't have Meta World Peace at the end but River Austin was a really great like he's a good point guard not a great point guard but he was a really good point guard but then you had Team Mac Yao and Meta World Peace in uh, like and your five could be I didn't think I don't I don't know who their forts are not the fight. I don't know who their fourth was, 
but I'm pretty sure I'll bet between Chuck Hayes and 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 um and Head. And then you on your bench you have Kyle Lowry, you had uh Aaron Brooks, Louis Scola. Yo, it, that it's a good eight nine man rotation there that could have made a really really great push in the playoffs. It just never happened. And I think maybe T Mac is also part of that little problem because again, like I told you, because he made playoffs before with the Raptors, and he made playoffs with with Orlando, and San Antonio. I don't even count San Antonio. Don't don't disrespect <laughs> him like that. He was watching on the bench. But they he all all his he always lost first round. So I guess it's a first round curse. But I mean, seriously, that that team would have been amazing if it wasn't for injuries. And yeah, man, that's dope, man. Yeah, man, that was a great take on on Yao Ming and T Mac. Yo, man, now that you're mentioning about the whole T Mac rivaling Kobe, I can't wait to to hear people talk about that conversation. Because it's go, true. Like, go ahead. 100%, 100%, like, even Kobe said um, in an interview that the one person that could pretty much rival him it's and T-Mac. match up to him was T-Mac. Because and T-Mac is taller. And yeah, T-Mac had a little exactly. bit T-Mac exactly had way it. more reach. Bro, I can't even say he's better than Kobe at that point. Because, yo, if T-Mac had the same fucking opportunity that Kobe Bryant had, T-Mac would be a champion. If T-Mac was playing with fucking Shaq, Team X a chat because they did literally have almost the same role, right? Kobe Bryant didn't really play much in the first season. Team Mac was literally coming off Vince Carter's shadow, blah 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 blah. Yeah, and then he get, wanted to be the dude in the front, the dude, yeah, and the dude in the front, right? But obviously, Team Mac Vince Carter is not like Team uh, Kobe and Shaq, right? Kobe and Shaq want three P, and then Kobe's like, well, "Let me do it myself," or you know, the whole rip off with riff between Shaq and Kobe, blah 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 blah. Kobe's by himself and he was doing Kobe shit, right? Mm-hmm. Team Mac was doing Team Mac shit, right? Bro, I'm telling you, almost basically carbon copies, like in my opinion. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not gonna argue that. I'm not gonna yeah. argue that. Their yeah. games are very fucking similar. And then Yao Ming and Shaq, almost very similar too. If anything, Yao Ming is a way better shooter than Shaq. <laughs> yeah, that's 100 percent true. <laughs> like 100. Yeah, you know, like you cannot follow <laughs> Yao Ming. He'll make those free throws. All right, dude. So the last you know, forgotten duo that didn't live up to their full potential in my case is also from the Western Conference and is arguably, you know, hella, hella, hella underrated. And that is Zach Randolph, a.k.a. Zebo, and Mark Gasol. Ooh, yeah. They both played for the Memphis Grizzlies from the 2009-2010 season to the 2016-2017 season. Now, they were known to be part of the grit and grind era of the 2010s. And again... They were arguably the most underrated front court of all time. Just recently, Memphis retired Zach Randolph's jersey, you know, number 50, hashtag 50 for the city. And you can say that if it wasn't for Zebo and Marc Gasol, the Grizzlies would not get that team spotlight or recognition that we know of today. Okay? So Marc Gasol, we all know that Marc Gasol started his career out in Memphis, but for Zach Randolph, he was traded to the Grizzlies in 2009 for Quinton Richardson. The following year, in 2010, Zebo made his first All-Star appearance. Um, and in the following year, Gasol and Zebo were able to make the playoffs in 2011. What was notable for that year was that they were the eighth seed and faced off against the first seed, San Antonio Spurs. What's amazing is that they ended up eliminating the San Antonio Spurs. It was the only time, matter of fact, it was the second time. It was the second time that an eighth seed team eliminated a first seed team in the playoffs since the league expanded to a seven game first round series. Now, their most notable season together was a 2012-2013 season 
where Marc Gasol won the Defensive Player of the Year award, as well as Zebo making his second All-Star appearance, advancing to the Western Conference Finals that season. Um, in terms of their playoff numbers together, Gasol was averaging 17.3 points per game, 8.5 rebounds per game, and 3.6 assists per game. And then Zebo was averaging 16 points, 9.3 rebounds, and 2 assists per game. Now, there is only a couple of things that stopped them from being a really deadly duo during their time together. Because they were together for a long time. And if you really think about looking back, Zebo, Zach Randolph, he was, when he was a rookie, he was in the tail end of the 90s. But he came in the early 2000s. He got drafted, I think, 2001, 2002. So he, he like, so he grew up watching Pat Patrick Ewing's, um, but definitely 90s players coming up, Hakeem Olajuwon. And the only handful of words that I can say to sum up them not being a deadly duo were the Thunder, the Warriors, the Spurs, and Game 7s, okay? In 2011, they lost to the OKC Thunder in seven games during the second round, obviously led by the three-headed monster of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And they also did that again. They ended up losing in seven games three years later in 2014 during the first round. So it was kind of like, shit, they couldn't really get over the hump. And they always had problems with the Spurs, you know? Um, in 2012, they also lost to the Los Angeles Clippers in seven games during the first round, led by Chris Paul. And at that time, an exciting Blake Griffin, um, you know, Lob City. So that was pretty much it, you know? The Warriors eventually was in there, and they were at the beginning of their, of their dynasty, and the Grizzlies just couldn't get over the hump. But the thing is, if you really look at the league today, who would you think would be a similar... Um, Mark Gasol and, and Zach Randolph type of frontcourt duo. Can you name at least one or two? At least one? Where, where like, Kazebo's game was like punishing you in the fucking post. Had great post game with his back to the basket. And it was actually really amazing because during their time together, Mark Gasol actually alleviated all of the pressure off of Zach Randolph because a lot of Memphis Grizzlies fans kind of saw him as a thug. When, when Zach Randolph became a part of that organization. Like, he's not going to do too much. We already have Marc Gasol. Everything's going to be okay. But Marc Gasol actually opened up the floor, especially in the paint, for Zebo to operate well. So my question to you is, in regards to both Zebo and Marc Gasol, are there any front court duos today that you can think of? No. I wish. I honestly wish, like, true, true, like, I thought, true I thought it was power a forwards. No, true power forwards and true centers. But the thing is, with Marc Gasol, he was obviously... Like a uh, Jokic before Jokic, like he could pass the ball, he could, you know, he could shoot a mid range. He's good. He's okay from the free throw line, um, and obviously now he extended his game past the three point line. But yeah, man, Zach Randolph and Marcus Saul, they were a fucking problem to deal with. And if it wasn't for obviously the Spurs, because they also had fucking lockdown defense with Kawhi still being on the Spurs at that time, it would have been a different story. As well as you know the Thunder being in the way. Chris Paul actually, you know, broke his first round curse at that time when Doc Rivers was coaching. So it, it was a lot of like factors that made Randolph and, and Gasol, you know, not successful in the end, but obviously hella, hella appreciated. Yeah, no, you know, me, when I think about Memphis Grizzly, it was always that grit and grind they always had. So every time you're going, bro, like <laughs> you literally have to outmuscle them. Mm -hmm. you, you literally have to be on your offensive game because they will beat the shit out of you. Yo, bro, I, you didn't even mention this guy, Tony Allen. 
Tony Allen yeah. was such yeah, yeah, yeah. such a huge, huge part of that. Like coming up Boston Celtics, especially the championship experience he got with them. And he brought that bro. Again, Kobe Bryant said that one of the his best defender was Tony Allen. So I think what was missing for them was an offensive spark, in my opinion. Like, don't get me wrong, Zebo and Mark can get his shit, but like they were missing a fucking wing player. A nice wing player would I think will probably put them over the hump. And it would have it should would have it should have been Rudy Gay. It should have been Rudy Gay. It just didn't work out. You know, mm-hmm. they did a trade they did a trade and we got him in the Raptors and they even I work out with the Raptors. So he was bouncing around for a while. But it should have been Rudy Gay. And if Rudy Gay would have reached his potential, I think the Memphis Grizzlies would have walked away with a championship, in my opinion. Because that Zebo and Marcus Saul combo is just too deadly. Literally too deadly. Marcus Saul can shoot. He didn't shoot a three, but he was a great mid-range sh- shooter and a great passer, great visionary. And then you have Zach Randolph just bro, that's like that's like a, a less less athletic um Zion Williamson. Like literally he will fucking use his whole big body and just go right into your chest. Yeah, man. Old school ball, bro. Just fucking just like, just take it. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to Full Court Press with Bonnie and Felix. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your shows. And to follow us on Instagram for full details on our giveaway very soon at fullcourtpress.to. We're going to end off this episode with another classic game of head-to-head. We're going to pretty much go back and forth. We have five seconds to respond with an answer. The category for this episode will be Mark Gasol's former teammates. Count me down. Three, two, one. Kyle Lowry. Oh, okay. Sergi Baca. Kawhi Leonard. Zach Randolph. Jeremy Lin. Tony Allen. Shane Battier. Was he really? Mike, Mike Conley. Was he really? Norman Powell. OG Ananobi. Anthony Davis. Rudy Gay. LeBron James. Oh, oh fuck. Uh, 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 uh. Oh my god. Oh, Fred Fleet. Danny Green. Oh, Pascal Siakam. Ooh. Patrick McCaw. Wow, bro. <laughs> uh, Dwight Howard. The Lakers. Um, yeah, yeah, Lakers. Oh, fuck, I think I already... I think that's it, bro. Thanks for tuning in to this installment of Full Court Press, and we will catch you in the next one. Bye. Boom, that was a good, that was a good.